morning. <clears throat> my name is Jim Randazzo. My wife, <clears throat> Barbara, and my daughter, Laura, and I have been members of this church since the early 2000s. I made my living as a science teacher. I'm retired now. But I always had the heart of a writer. And as such, I know that on any given day, I can find a story to write about. But 99% of those stories never get written. They do get shared. And so I should thank my wife for putting up with all the tales all these years. I get an opportunity to play Charlie Brown's teacher every day. And I know when I look at her, all she's hearing is wah, wah, wah. But she's very gracious about it. This summer, when we went on vacation, I had no intention of writing a word, not even a postcard. And on the fifth day, I was uh, at a coffee shop. And one of the topics of conversation with the locals down in Georgia, where we were, was Hurricane Irma and all the evacuation stories. And the story this woman told me so paralleled the book called The Circle Maker, which was recommended here as summer reading, that I couldn't resist writing about it. So I wrote it down. As a matter of fact, I wrote a couple of stories that I had observed before this, that particular day. And the next morning over coffee, I said to myself and said to God, I have a sense that you want me to do something. I don't have a clue what it is. You know I like to write. You know I'm willing to share. But I'm on vacation. So if you want something to happen, they have to come to me. Well, for those of you that don't believe in the power of prayer, don't ever make a prayer like that. Because from that day to day 40, every day, different ways, different times, a story came across my path that I felt obligated to write. I made this promise. So I wrote them all down. By the time I was done, it was 28 pages, 40 stories. Uh, and I entitled it Finding Hope. Because as a science teacher, I looked at all the stories. And what they had in common was joy, was God, was faith, hope, love, compassion, belief in your fellow man, uh, recognizing the worth of everybody and everything, nature. Everything that you hear talked about in church, these people were telling me. And yet they never uh, quoted the Bible. They never talked about their church. They never even identified what religion they were. They just were living their faith. They were sharing with a stranger. And I was amazed this happened day after day after day. So the second part of my promise was to share them. So I went through my address book, my email book, and I knew there were people that have read me for years and I could send them anything. And I also knew there were people connected to churches that I wouldn't mind if I or get freaked out if I sent them something spiritual. Uh, but then there were other people, and I had this sense that those were the people I was supposed to send to, people who would never receive anything, anything spiritual from me before uh, or would be, you know, maybe shocked to get something from me, especially over the summer. And it was those people, it was those people who thanked me. It was those people who shared back to me. And some of their stories I posted or, or wrote on the Finding Hope series. It was those people who had questions about the churches that we attend in down south and this church here. And what I realized is when we talk about inviting people into our community of faith, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to walk through the door or that you have to hold their hand and walk them into the door. Anything that you share, any conversation that you have to show what you believe and listen to what they believe and acknowledge their, their feeling and their, and their faith is an invitation. 
So when I came back, I talked to some of the people that I sent these stories to, and one was Heather Mandela, who, besides a thousand other things, runs our church blog. And she asked me if I would share a couple of stories on the blog. And I said, of course, that's the easy part. They're already written. Here's all 40 of them, take what you want. But in reality, that's not what I was called to do. Because when I sit where, you're, where you are, and I look around, if there's 300 people, 400 people here, there's that many stories. There's a reason why you've come to church. There's a reason why you're faithful every Sunday. There's something in your, your life story that should be shared. So I'm going to end this the way I started it this summer. My name is Jim. I'm a writer. And if you have a story, I write for this church. I'm willing to listen because listening to your story will make me a better Christian and it will make me a better writer. I will understand more when I write for this church. However, if you allow me to share your story, you just tell me, I'll write it, and we'll post it, I guarantee. And I can promise you two things. There is somebody out there that needs to hear your story. Your unique story will parallel something in their life. And the other thing I can promise you is when you read a collection of these stories like I did, I don't say you have to read 40, but if you read five or 10 or whatever, you will be amazed at how God works in different ways in people's lives. And just like I found, you will find joy and you will find hope. Thank you. Jim, thanks for sharing that. Uh, for those of you who might be interested in uh, hearing more about uh, those stories that Jim has written, uh, in your bulletin, there's information. It's, it's entitled, What is Finding Hope? And you can see Jim's email address, contact information, if you'd like to contact Jim because you want to uh, read the stories that he's referenced, or you have a story that you'd like to uh, share with him, then you can do that. And also, uh, we have a, uh, during Lent, a uh, online study called Finding Hope, which will be uh, addressing these same stories and these same ideas. Ideas. We'd love for you to be a part of that, Jim. Again, thanks for sharing that story. I love where he said, if you're willing to share, I'm ready to listen. That's the theme really for this series that we're in now. That, uh, But we live in a world that I'm describing a culture that is, uh, it's a you do you culture, right? Uh, you do you. I'm not going to interfere. Overall, our culture has this hesitation uh, about discussing personal beliefs with someone else because we fear that we might be seen as a critic of someone else's viewpoint or we might fear that uh, they'll see us as judgmental. And so we've been taught or we've been told that we don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about finances, right? Those are the taboo topics at a dinner party. And uh, in today's extreme polarized climate, even more so, right? We just want to avoid those topics. But yet, as I read stories in the Bible, I see that Jesus was unhindered in those conversations, and he was able to talk about all those things with incredible ease and grace. Uh, he invited people from where they were, wherever they were, and he invited them to somewhere better, that he would meet with people where they were, and he would lead them and would offer them a better place to be in their lives. And most importantly, he always demonstrated incredible care for people, and yet he was able to care for them and challenge them to move in this next 
place. He loved them as they were, and he loved them enough and challenged that, but yet challenged them to something better. And that has always been a value of hope, that we believe that, that God loves every person, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've thought about God in the past, that God loves us. And God loves us enough that he doesn't want us to stay in that circumstance, in that place, but God wants to move us towards a greater place and towards a greater life of faith and that, that there is a next step for all of us. And so uh, if, you're, if, you've all, if you've been here uh, recently in the last seven weeks, and this is your first, uh, first time in the last seven weeks, my name is Rick. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Uh, I am usually the guy at the other campus. Uh, Pastor Jeff and I switched locations. But last week we began uh, this series uh, in Voorhees and in Mount Laurel. And we began by introducing the story of Nicodemus. It's found in John chapter 3. And what I found most fascinating and find most fascinating about the story of Nicodemus is that Nicodemus meets Jesus at night, not because he has any kind of discomfort or fear about Jesus. He actually was drawn and attracted to Jesus, his concern was that his cohorts or his his uh, workmates or the people that knew him would have some difficulty with him having a conversation with Jesus. And so he went to Jesus and met with him at night. And Nicodemus found comfort in Jesus. He found safety in his conversation with Jesus. And together they talked about faith and they talked about life. And so we're going to read the very next chapter in John's story, uh, John uh, chapter 4. We're not going to read the whole story, so we're just going to read some snippets of it. And I'm going to tell part of that story so if you uh, need a homework assignment, it can be read John chapter 4. You can read it this afternoon while you're watching golf or, uh, or basketball. That's the only thing that's on TV in the afternoons on Sundays as far as I know. Uh, what else is on? Someone said there's a hockey game tonight. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, there's a hockey game. Joe's watching that. And uh, so... but. So the first nine chapters of John's gospel I find really exciting because uh, John does something different than the other gospel writers. John takes the first nine chapters and kind of gives us a glimpse of all of Jesus's ministry. And in each one is like a snippet of a person that he encounters. So so in John chapter two, it's the wedding at Canaan. We have that famous wedding where where they run out of wine and Jesus's mom comes and says, I, you know, you need to do something about this because it would be an embarrassment to this family. And so Jesus says this not my place, but he does do something. In John chapter 3, he meets Nicodemus at night. In John chapter 4, it's this woman that we're going to meet. It's the woman uh, he meets in Samaria. All right, so uh, the words are going to be up on the screen from John chapter 4, and we're going to share just part of that story. And uh, as I read it, we're going to stop and pause. I'm going to give you some background to the story, and then we'll have some uh, challenges at the end for us. So on the screen, it says John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. Now, John's writing this down, and he he says, Jesus and the disciples had to go through Samaria on the way. Now they're traveling from Judea to Galilee and in between is this province or this area called Samaria. Now, Samaria and the Samaritans were seen as an enemy to the Jews. There was a famous first century rabbi who said this. He would say, he that eats the bread of Samaritans is like the one who eats the flesh of swine. That's really, really bad. 
Historically, they were considered a mixed race. They were an embarrassment to the Jewish, to Jewish nationalism because Samaritans were those that had stayed in, in Jerusalem during the exile and they had intermarried with these other faith groups, these other nations that came in and occupied that area. And so they were seen as an embarrassment, as a mixed race. There was incredible racism towards these people. The Jews would travel around Samaria even though the shortest distance was to go through it, and they did this because they wanted to avoid all contact with this hated people group. It was that kind of extreme hatred. And so John says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, because that's what happens when you go through Samaria. You run into Samaritan villages. And near, they were near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. All right, that's important. At, he's there at noon, and we'll get back to that. Verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, as John is writing this in the first century, there are some cues that he gives in that first paragraph that kind of let us know what is going on in this story. Some of those cues we miss in the 21st century. Like, for instance, Jesus is breaking four expectations if he's going to be an observant Jewish man. He speaks to an unmarried woman, which you would not do. He engages in conversation with an enemy of the Jews, right, the Samaritans. He touches and receives something from an unclean Samaritan. They were seen as unclean. He asks for water, and she gives him water to drink. And then he is speaking with a woman who's living a questionable lifestyle, which we'll get to in just a minute. So John gives us this additional uh, information again that we would miss in the 21st century, it says that it was noontime. Now, women would go to the well typically in the early morning or late evening when the sun is setting or rising because it's the cooler part of the day. You wouldn't want to go at noontime. The well, the town well, was also the local meeting spot. It's where people would gather to talk about their day uh, or about how their day was about to happen, or they would also meet uh, uh, just for a drink and catch up with their friends and relatives and those kinds of things. It was kind of like going to the Panera. It was like going to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks on your way to work. You would stop at the well, all right? It was the local watering hole that you would gather. And so everyone would go at noon or in the evening and they'd see each other at the well. But this woman comes at noon. She's coming at the hottest part of the day, the time when nobody else would be at the well. So the question is, is it because she wants to be alone Or is it because she needs to be alone? Or is it that her experience during the typical well hours has not gone well in the past? That she came when she would be certain that nobody else would be around. See, because we're going to find out in the story, as we read the story, and as Jesus has a conversation with her, that she has had five husbands. Now, we don't know the story about the five husbands. We have no idea at all, except that Jews believe that a woman might be divorced twice or at the most three times. But if she's been divorced five, she would be someone who's considered exceedingly immoral. 
Now, it doesn't say divorce in the story. It just says that she's had five husbands. So it's possible that some of those husbands have died as well. But we also find out that Jesus, in the conversation, that the man that she is currently living with is not her husband. So what we can summarize, at the very least, from this story and from this conversation that Jesus has with this woman is that she is living a disastrous life, that it's been filled with heartache and heartbreak, and likely there are decisions that she has made and or circumstances that have been made uh, in spite of her that have put her in this broken place. And so John gives the reader plenty of reasons for why Jesus should not speak with this woman, and yet he does. And I find this to be one of the most fascinating things about Jesus, that Jesus was drawn towards and attracted to people who were on the margins of life. Heather prayed for those who were marginalized by culture, and that those are the people that Jesus was most attracted to. Like I mentioned, in John chapter 4, it's this woman at the well in Samaria. John chapter 5, it's this lame man who has been lame for 38 years, and Jesus goes up to him and has a conversation. And he says, what do you want? And he says, I want to be well. Further on in John chapter 6, he, uh, uh, he, he, he oh, how was John chapter 6? I had these all memorized so well. All right, well, somewhere along the line there, in those early chapters in John, he meets a blind person, a blind man. Another time he meets with, feeds 5,000 people who are without food. He is always drawn towards those who are on the margins. It seems that those who are furthest from God are the people that Jesus is most interested in. And so Jesus engages this Samaritan woman at a well at noon and he learns her story. And together, they talk about water, and they talk about the local history there in town. They talk about life in general. They talk about her life specifically. And then they have this question and answer about some religious questions in life. And we find out that she's searching for answers. And she believes there must be more than this life, but she just doesn't know where to look and where to find it. Now, I want to pause there and just say that as we have been in this series, this week two of this series, one of the things that's really important to recognize is that it's very unlikely, especially in the 21st century, that someone's going to come up to us while we're at a coffee shop or while we're at work and say, hey, how do I become a Christian? All right, that just isn't our reality, all right? That's not the world that we're currently living in. People do not come up and ask you that kind of question. It's possible, but it's more than likely they're not. It's more than likely they're going to talk to us about life. They're going to talk about the things that are going on in life. The other day, uh, my wife Kelly and I went out to a restaurant. We had an incredibly good meal. You want to know a restaurant, don't you? I'm not going to tell you. But you see, that's just talking about life. We went to the movies. I saw the best, my favorite movie of the whole year. And you want to know what it was, right? 
But you see, we can talk about life with ease. It's just, it just flows. We just do that when we're with people at work, when we're with people at school. We just talk about our experiences. We talk about life. We want to talk about the things that have happened to us. We want to tell someone else, and we want to hear what's happened to you and what's happened to the people that were around because we like to hear and share stories. It's like Jim said, if, you are, um, if you're willing to share, I'm ready to listen. And so it's important that if our faith in Christ is challenging and changing and working on our lives, it should be as important and it should flow as easily to talk about our faith as it is to talk about a restaurant, as it is to talk about a movie that we've seen. But it's unlikely that someone's going to say, hey, so how do I become a Christian? But it's more likely that they're going to be talking to us and they're going to say, you know what, my life is just not going well right now. And here's what's happening. See, that can be a signal for us that, you know what, I can talk about how I've handled that situation with my faith. How my faith has had an impact on that. Someone might say, you know what, uh, I was not prepared for, and maybe it's the diagnosis. I wasn't prepared for the loss of my job. And when they share that, that could be a cue, that could be a signal for us to say, hey, you know what? I know how I handle situations like that in my, with my faith. Maybe they share with us that they're just not in church. They don't go to church. And then we get to proudly share about our community of faith here and how it's had this incredible impact on our lives. See, there's times where we may be given an invitation to give an invitation. When a story's being told, when we're listening to a story, when we're telling our story, it's an invitation to share an invitation. Now, I know this is really important. I shared this last week at Mount Laurel. One of the things that can happen is that you can assume, as I'm sharing this, that it's really easy for him. He's a pastor. Let me tell you, the most likely time, how do I say this? I have one question that can kill every dinner party. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. All right. Now, as soon as I share that, all right, it often happens on the golf course. I'm golfing with people and there's, and there's three of us and we pick up a fourth and about the third hole, it gets around. So what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Cricket, cricket, cricket. All right. Because here's what happens is, first of all, a lot of people assume I'm a priest, all right, when they hear I'm a pastor. So then they're confused that I have a wife and kids. All right. Or they have this iconic image of what it's supposed to be to be a pastor. And they assume that I wear a robe or and I walk around with incense and stuff like that. They just have these assumptions about me when I'm at home by myself or whatever. Right. Uh, they also don't know that I like to eat, that I watch TV, that I get angry, that I get angry at the TV, that I grocery shop. I don't like long lines in the grocery store, that I beep my horn, that I speed while I drive on occasion, that I lose my car keys and I get angry again. It always comes back to that one. Uh, and or, or anything else that regular people do. They assume, because I'm a pastor, that it's not like that for me. And they also assume that pastors and Christians are perfect. 
and judgmental. And therefore, as soon as they find out what I do, they're uncomfortable being around or within hearing of a pastor because of what might be said or what might be done. And so if a person stays around long enough, around me long enough, they discover I'm just a regular guy, that I make mistakes, that I've messed up, and that I am still figuring life out myself and that I'm comfortable talking about my life, and that I'm comfortable talking about how faith has had a huge influence on me and on my family and my marriage, and that I'm proud of my church, and that I think everyone will love it here. But I don't walk up to people, and I don't talk about my faith. But I do talk about life, and I do talk about stories, and I do talk about my story. And I'm always listening for an invitation to give an invitation. But it's a challenge for all of us. It's not easier for some of us. It's hard for all of us. All right, so that was the sidetrack there. So back to the story. It's up on the screen. Now, the disciples, remember, they've gone off to Samar uh, into the Samaritan village. They went to get some food. Jesus is at the well. He's having this extended conversation with this woman at the well. And the writer is John, and John's one of the disciples. And so John is one of the guys that went into town to get the food, all right? And so verse 27, it says this. Just then his disciples came back. They see Jesus. They see Jesus and this woman, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Now, why are they shocked? Because they have all those cultural ideas about, about, uh, about Samaritans. They have all those, those false understandings that they have this hatred towards them, that they're, they're, they're uh, horrible people, all those things. John the writer is, is confessing that that's how they were feeling. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, but they also, John says, yeah, we're not saying anything. What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And just as another side note, I imagined, what was it like for these guys when they went into town to find food? They had to go into a town filled with people that they had grown up hating. And they had to find food and ask for food, but yet if you were a good first century Jewish person, you did not receive food from a Samaritan. So how do you find food in a town filled with Samaritans? And so was there cultural bias and hatred and racism? And why would Jesus send them except maybe he wanted them to learn? Because it's going to come back again in the story a little bit later. So the disciples came back. Uh, the woman uh, has been in this conversation with Jesus. And up on the screen, it says, the woman left her water jar, this is after the conversation, beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And she left her water jar. Now that's one of those famous verses in the Bible. The first time I heard someone preach on this was 30 years ago. I was at Asbury College. I was a sophomore in college, and David Geyerson was the president of Asbury, and he said this, once you have had Jesus, nothing from your old life, 
even the best will ever satisfy. Because a lot of people want to know, why did she leave it there? And, you know, it could be some practical reasons, like it was heavy, it was filled with water, and she was in a hurry to get back to town. I'm more interested in why does John tell us she left it there? Because what was once important compared to finding Jesus is far less important. See, Jesus is so much better. He's so much better than water jars. He's so much better than anything else. He's better than the restaurants that have changed our lives. He's better than the movie that we've seen that's the best movie we've ever seen. He's better than our jobs. He is the best thing in life. He's better than all of it. And that's what we believe, right? Wholehearted amen, right? Yeah, it's the best thing we have going for us, people. It's not our community. It's our faith in Jesus. It's the best thing we have. And what does she do? She goes to town, and that's what she tells everybody. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, surely that's an exaggeration, but she's making a point. She's saying, hey, guys, you need to come and see this man. My broken life, it's okay. I can be myself. I can be vulnerable again. I can trust again. I can be whole again because our past doesn't matter. This is so unique to Christian faith. My early or my late teens and early 20 years were the worst years for me. I did embarrassing, harmful, just just stupid things. And I don't like to relive those days. There are people who will say, oh, I remember you in high school. I'm like, oh, God, please no. Because I was awful and horrible. And I want to say, I'm not that person anymore. And so it's embarrassing. But because of Jesus... There's a hero story now. And because of his grace and because of his forgiveness in my life, I now can use those not as as badges of honor, but Jesus is my badge of honor. Because of what he's done in my life, because of all that I have received, because of his forgiveness in my life, my story is outstanding because of Jesus. So do you remember your life before you found Jesus? And I hope it is remarkably different than your life with Jesus. Because as people see our lives changing, as they recognize that there's a difference in us, we will have opportunities to tell our stories. And we'll have opportunities to talk about the faith that we have found in Christ, that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, God loves us, God forgives us, and all is okay. So the story goes on, and this is the end of the story in John chapter 4, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Isn't that unique? Like that's, John says, that's why they believed. She said that, and they believed. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for even more or many more to hear his message 
and believe. So there was a trip to a well at noon, led to a conversation about life and faith. It transforms a woman and then transforms a town. And so there are people that we see every day. They're the people we see at the Panera, the Starbucks. They're the people we see at work. They're the people we see at school. The people we see in our neighborhoods when we go out to start our car because it's cold out. They're the people we're going to see on Wednesday when we're shoveling snow. We see these people, and we see them every day. And they want to talk about life, and they want to tell you what they watch on TV, and you want to tell them what you've watched on TV. You want to talk about the things that are going on in your lives because we like to share stories, and we share them every day. And with those who were close enough, we also talk about what's really happening in life. And so we'll talk about the good and the bad and the ugly. And we'll talk about the tough times and the hard times. And I believe people want to share life and they want to share these stories. And I don't believe that as Christians, we're supposed to be handing out bullhorns on the way out the door so that we can shout into them, turn or burn or follow Jesus or whatever it is that people would shout into a bullhorn. I've never had one, so I don't know. But I do believe, I do believe that as followers of Jesus, we have a calling and that is to show up at our jobs as an accountant or an engineer or a teacher or a manager and that we're supposed to do our job really, really well. And maybe your place of business or your school and the world will be a better place because you're there and you're doing your work really, really well. And every day when you show up, you'll embody this way of Jesus so that your boss or your teacher or your coworkers or your contractors or your friends or your clients or your students will all get a glimpse of what Jesus' way is all about. And they will see honesty and they'll see kindness and trustworthiness and faithfulness and hope and hard work, and they'll see integrity, and they'll see joy, and humility, and generosity, and love, and they'll see patience, and they'll notice there's something different, and hopefully they'll want to join in, and then maybe those same people you'll see at noon at a well, and you'll have a conversation about your life and about their lives. And you'll share stories. And maybe you'll hear, you know, things are not going well. Or I was not prepared for. Or I'm not in church. And maybe you'll get to share your story of faith and the, the change that Jesus has brought to your life and to your family's life. And you'll get to share about this community of faith and the hope that you can experience through Jesus. And maybe you'll have an invitation to offer an invitation and maybe a life will be transformed. And maybe a family will be transformed. And maybe a workplace will be transformed. And maybe a neighborhood will be transformed. Or maybe a town will be transformed. See, I believe that that Jesus from the first century is the same Jesus in the 21st century. And so I have to believe that if that kind of story where someone says he told me everything I've ever done could change a town, I have to believe that can happen today. 
And so that's where you and I find ourselves in those workplaces, sharing stories about life, talking about the things that are going on at our workplaces and in our homes and in our families, and sharing our faith, listening for those opportunities to talk to someone else, to be ready at all times when the opportunity is upon us. And maybe, just maybe, it'll transform a life and transform a town. Will you stand with me? I have a closing challenge for us. As we stand right before we pray, I want, I want you to consider this. It may be that as I've been talking and as I've been sharing about these different types of people and the circumstances you might be in, that there is somebody that you immediately thought of. Went, yep, that's a person. That's somebody I need to have a conversation with. And if not, let me make this challenge. Why don't you think just for a moment now, for the next 10 seconds, who are the two, three, four, or five people? God, I want you to give me opportunity to have a conversation with them about faith, about my faith, about how it has impacted and changed my life. If you're the journaling type of person, let me challenge you this way. Write those names in the corner of your journal on every page. Keep writing those names until you have that opportunity. Here, let's pray together. So God, I thank you for, I thank you for this community of faith, God, and I thank you for the way that we have had opportunity to impact our communities. And God, I pray for each person here, each man, each woman, God, that we have conversations around the watering hole every day. Whether we're at work or at school or at home or at Starbucks, and we meet and see some of the same people every day. And God, we talk about life and we share our stories. And God, I pray that we would be open to a possibility, open to an opportunity, that we would hear an invitation to offer an invitation. That someone might share that things are not going well, or I was not prepared for, I'm not in church. That that might be a cue for us to talk about our faith and talk about how our faith has impacted our lives and we can't imagine life without Jesus. And God, I pray that we would have the courage and the stamina to have those, store, have those conversations and share those stories. And so God, I now we thank you for this time and thank you for the way that you've been working in and through us. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You just have a great day.